Blog Talk Radio. It is world. You just live in it. This is the Warren Markowitz Show. Those who would trade our freedom for the soup kitchen of the welfare state have told us they have a utopian solution of peace without victory. They call their policy accommodation. And they say if we'll only avoid any direct confrontation with the enemy, he'll forget his evil ways and learn to love us. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Politics! 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 Hi, I'm Warren Markowitz, host of the Warren Markowitz Show on Blog Talk Radio. Join me Tuesdays and Fridays at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time to talk politics, economics, and anything else that just might tickle your fancy. See you there. Hey guys, it's Warren Markowitz. Welcome to Politically Incorrect on the Warren Markowitz Show live on Blog Talk Radio. And if this shit keeps up, I'm not going to be here at the end of the month. i got to tell you something, man. This is the second episode in as many. This is the third episode for 2018. Thank you very much for joining us. That I've had nothing but headaches and problems on the platform. I was off of Blog Talk on Spreaker.com for a long period of time, uh, primarily, and I'll be very frank and honest with you, due to cost. Blog Talk is twice as expensive as Spreaker.com, but they have a few little features and things like that that I particularly care about. But I don't like having things drag when using their on web platform. But anyway, uh, thank you for joining me, and welcome back to Politically Incorrect on a Warren Markwood Show, live on Blog Talk Radio. Again, catch us on Spreaker, Podomatic, YouTube, uh, YouTube's, <laughs> YouTube, iTunes, uh, Facebook at Radio Markwoods, Twitter at RadioMarkwoods.com, and a whole bunch of other places on the web. The Russians are coming. That's right, folks. The Russians are coming. Uh, for those of you who saw the connection between the old 1970s film where uh, they made fun of an Russian invasion, or the uh, 1980s movie of Red Dawn, where the Russians and the Cubans invaded America. It seems like the boogeyman of the day is what our government's talking about. Everything needs to have an enemy. We need to have a bad guy. We need to worry about something other than reality. And therein lies our problem. Today we're talking about a couple of things. We're talking about the Russians. That's right, the evil, evil, evil Russians. Don't get me wrong. Everybody's got a government that has issues and concerns and and problems. But are we really that worried about the Russians or even the Chinese? Or are we more worried about an economic collapse that could bury every last one of us and force us to literally, and I mean this literally, to kill each other over basic resources on this planet? Let's talk about some of those things today. We're also talking about, you know, the the upcoming uh, special, eh, you know what, I may not even get on that much in terms of the subpoena for Steve Bannon. I don't really particularly care about it because everything is a way to draw us from what matters. 
yesterday was Martin Luther King's birthday. It was a celebration of a great civil rights leader, somebody that, if you've been paying attention, knew that there's a clip uh, of his speeches in my opening intro. And it's because I hold in high regard and respect a man who's willing to speak his mind and say what needs to be said. Hey, and back then, color did matter. Today, we're making it matter for less. Um, Social justice issues are just disastrous. Anyhow, uh, sit back, relax, enjoy. I think you'll like to wander through my head today. Kind of cleaned out some of the cobwebs, got my second cup of coffee going in. And uh, hang in there. I'll be right back after this brief message. Thanks. You see, this is what I mean. All right, I guess we're going to do this without commercials today. Um, I'm going to put him in post-production. What the hell? So here's the thing. Government needs an enemy. Right? Make it. Think about this. We establish government to deal with the stuff we don't really need to deal with. You, know, you have issues such as you need to raise your kids. You need to earn a living. You need to provide for your family. You need to do all those little things to keep yourself alive and moving forward without any headaches. But... We establish government as a society to deal with the people coming in from other places. Hence, why why is illegal immigration and immigration in general such an important factor? Because we don't need to deal with it. You and I don't need to deal with it. It's a problem, and it is a problem, that needs to be dealt with by an agency that we create from our government that deals with people who come here. Okay, that's where we get the border patrol from. That's where we get the the customs people from. That's where we get our taxes when the people come in or goods come in, and so on and so forth. It's all of those things. Then, of course, you've got who you can and who you can't talk to. The biggest issue, the biggest issue that the Democrats have put forth for the last year and change, and this includes prior to the election of Donald Trump and the entire election of Donald Trump the entire presidency thus far of Donald Trump, is that somebody colluded with somebody that colluded with somebody else who colluded with bad people. There was foreign influence in our elections. Well, you know what? There's foreign influence in everything you do. There's influence from the outside in everything we deal with. We're sitting here, the Democrats, let 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 me just broad stroke this for a second. The one who says something is happening because of X is probably somebody who is either trying to distract you of something they did or is trying to distract you of something they don't want to talk about or deal with or resolve. For example, generally speaking, when somebody accuses you of cheating in a relationship, that person themselves is cheating or has taken steps to cheat. But we look at the issue of collusion. It's a big thing. It's, it's out in the papers today because the, the Steve Bannon, the big bad guy from Breitbart News, has is, is is just got himself a subpoena. As a matter of fact, before we went on air, 
he received a subpoena from uh, from the special prosecutor for either a grand jury testimony or an interview relating to his actions at the White House and so on and so forth. But the Democrats themselves are pushing the issue of collusion in the election by the Russians with Trump in order to undermine Hillary to get elected. Are we supposed to simply ignore the fact that Obama openly, and I'm not saying this is, no, I'm not saying tit for tat. Let's, not, let's get something straight. This isn't a tit for tat. Well, he did it, so it's okay. But are we supposed to ignore the fact, or are we being forced to ignore the fact that Obama openly interfered with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's election in Israel before Obama left office, campaigned against him, tried to influence the voters to vote him out because Obama didn't couldn't work with him. I'm not even gonna get to the point and say he didn't like him. I have no I, I don't know about that and but it was obvious the two didn't get along. They couldn't work together. So Obama decided he was going to replace him. Isn't that influence? Isn't that foreign influence? Isn't that undue influence? Isn't that what we're worried about here with the Russians? Now, if you've got a, a, a group of people that are being elected or, or campaigning, wouldn't, isn't there a point in time in which these people get briefings of what's happening so that they can be prepared for the job they're taking? Are we, ex- are we supposed to expect that a uh, new management comes into the, into the office and we all of a sudden find out that these, this new management knows everything and can do everything and has all the connections that the, the prior management had or laid out from scratch, from zero? I'm not saying that anything happened. I'm simply asking the question is, at what point is a face-to-face friendly meeting over a cup of coffee or a discussion over policies that currently exist or interests that both parties have, when is that an issue of collusion? Is, Is collusion simply the fact that one works with another, one agrees with another, one strives for common ground? Or did the Russians actually put money into the game and do exactly what we've been doing in other countries to try and get somebody elected that would work with them, that would become comfortable with them. Some, if you be perfectly honest with you, I would have assumed that if anybody colluded with anybody, that the Democrats would have colluded with the Russians in order to influence the election to get Hillary elected. Not because uh, Hillary is a better president or would have been a better president, but Hillary had an open line of communication. She had an established relationship with the foreign office in, out of Moscow because of her position in government. Wouldn't it be better off for them to have a contained relate, a continuous relationship with somebody, excuse me, that they already knew? You know, the old saying that a, a, a known devil is better than an unknown devil? You know, it, it's those questions that make you wonder whether or not this issue of collusion is nothing more than a smokescreen to take people away from the things that matter the issues that matter. You know, political pawns are something that continuously occur in this country. Well, they occur in every country, but we we tend to ignore the fact that we are being played. We are being played by both sides of an entrenched government that really needs to have fresh blood. 
and I don't mean a transfusion. I mean we need to start electing people from the people. We have to start moving away from the career politicians. You know, I'm sitting here and thinking about this. Let's see now here. Um, let's see. Google longest standing or longest whole, uh, office holder in Congress. Let's see what Google has to say about the office holders in Congress. Actually, just for the record, I use DuckDuckGo, not Google, for a lot of stuff. Uh, eight longest serving current members of Congress as of, let's see what it is. Let's see who they are. That's it. We've got Don Young, 78 years old Republican from Alaska. Uh, has been in the House since 1973. Pete Stark, a 79-year-old Democrat from the 13th District, elected in this 1972. Thad Cochran, uh, U.S. House, Mississippi Republican, U.S. Senate in 1978 at age 40. So he's been in there since 78. Bill Young, number four, tied for number four. Uh, 80-year-old, since elected office in 1970, Charlie Wrangell, good old loudmouth from Harlem, great smile, big booming voice. We all know who he is. If you're back from back east, the uh, politics man seems to be a he's, the man is like a used car salesman. Okay, there are some people you just seem to like, even though you don't like them in their business. But he's an 80-year-old, 81-year-old Democrat. And let's see now, where has he been? I think he's been in there. Damn, he's been in there for a long time. I think at least 30 years. Uh, John Conyers, okay. Uh, 1964. He's been in since 64. Let's see now. 80-year-old Democrat. Dan Ayui. He's from, I believe he's from Hawaii. No, wait. Let's see now. Oh, from Hawaii. Since 19, uh, what was it? 1962. Okay. And John Dingle, the longest serving member of the U.S. history of House of Representatives. His father was a member of the U.S. House, uh, Michigan District, 23 years, died in 55. The 20 year old took the spot. And since he's been there, so he's the longest one since uh, back to 1955. So here's the thing we have got guys entrenched, and these go with the ladies too entrenched in Congress, in government, for not terms, but over decades. And we wonder why policies don't change so fast. We wonder why issues aren't addressed timely. These guys aren't interested in solving problems. They're interested in keeping their jobs, their pensions, their influence, their their, their political money that they get from Outside vendors, not your twenty-five or fifty dollars you give to a candidate. They're interested in the twenty-five and fifty thousand dollars they get from PACs, from people that they don't know but want something from them. You see, the Russians are coming. It's a tune we've been playing since the nineteen sixties, since the Red Scare, since after World War II, since going back as far as the the, the communist purges of Hollywood. This is nothing new. The screenplay has been played before. This is a remake of a movie that if we don't understand the simple fact, let me explain to you the simple fact. I'll give you an example. You might not like it. You might be offended by it, but I don't really give a damn. 
I have always said that the German bankers, the core of the European Central Bank and the European, uh, European Union, did for Europe what the Nazi tanks couldn't do. Now think about this. While the Nazi tanks were part of creating an empire under National Socialism, let's read this again, National Socialism, also known as a version of socialism, not exactly friendly to outside influences, diversity, or anything else the American public stands for. Okay, The idea of a Nazi tank running through Europe trying to consolidate power, they failed miserably. Why? Well, because... They failed miserably because their other people said, you know what, enough. But the German bankers did what the tanks couldn't do. They unified Europe. Now, Europe itself is still fragmented somewhat, but then again, so is the United States. Look at the different states. Look at the different political attitudes. Look at the different types of people that settle in certain areas. It does not mean that we are not a union, and the European Union is just the same. Now, the issue with Brexit, well, you know what? England was never really a part of the union, if you think about it. They didn't give up their currency. They they maintained more autonomy. They were they were a independent nation. That kind of like, you know what? Let me try this relationship out. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But the whole thing boils down to how do we pick a bad guy? Now, why do we pick Russia as a bad guy? Russia, technically, if you if you think about this, Russia wasn't a bad guy. With us. Russia wasn't a bad guy during World War I. They fought on the Allied side until they pulled out after the revolution. The Japanese were also not bad guys during World War I. They quietly fought also. They were kind of shrugged off and insulted, but they picked up and left with their toys uh, when the treaties were signed because they weren't getting anything out of the deal. Now, Things happened during World War II. We conquered the country. They, we kind of messed things up in, in Central Asia. Um, we had little itty-bitty skirmishes. We had political infighting. But overall, think about this. Do we really have an enemy in this world? Other than political ideologies that look to enforce themselves upon those who disagree with them. Now, you can argue and jump up and down and say, well, the American public, the American government does that to other places in the world. Yeah, actually, we do. Okay, we, we actually do that. We actually influence other places because we want to have that influence. But we don't pick out groups that say, you know what, religiously, we don't agree with you. We're going to kill you anyway. I mean, I if you, if you really want to pick a problem in this world, it's religious fanaticism. Because whether the Chinese decide they're going to have a problem with their neighbors, I'm going to point this simple fact out. Why haven't we gone to war in Europe? Think about how much time has evolved. World War I was 1914 to 19, roughly, we'll say 1919. Okay, we'll we'll go all the way out to the, the, the Treaty of Versailles. Then from 1939 to roughly 1945, you might want to include some things in 33, maybe some, some actions in 35. But overall, from we'll, we'll pick it up from where Hitler was elected in, uh, in, in Germany to the end of the world. So that was 12 years, but there was less than 20 years in between. Europe has seen an issue of peace and in, 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 pros, in prosperity 
since 1946. That's 60 years, 70 years of not shooting at each other. Even with the collapse and the infighting and the the the, the, the uprise, the Hungarian Revolution and the uprisings and all the little funny things to, over the communist governments, but overall, there hasn't been a major war fought on this planet in 70 years. That includes Vietnam. That includes Korea. That includes all the little skirmishes that are going on in in Africa and, and Afghanistan and Iraq. The issues between Iran and its neighbors. The issues between Israel and its neighbors. The world has not been on fire where there wasn't a safe place to hide for any, for just about anybody in almost a century. So what enemy truly is there? We haven't started fighting over water. We haven't started fighting over food. When we can still feed most of the planet, we can still feed and clothe most of the world. I, listen, you don't start shooting at people you do business with. It's that simple. The Chinese, okay, everybody's calling them the Chinese, the Chinese, the Chinese are building islands in the South China Sea. They're stretching their wings a little bit. They're stretching their arms a little bit. Are they going to be dangerous? They might be. Are they, be, are they going to be commanding? They might be. They could simply overpopulate the world. Has anybody ever thought of that? You know, we have the, you, you deal with the China one-child po- one policy in mainland China and predominantly in the cities. But if you lifted that with a billion point three people, a billion and a half people roughly, each kid, each one of them had two kids, you'd have in 20 years, you'd probably have six billion people in China. Would that be a problem? Yeah, I'd say that'd be a problem. Because at that point in time, we're probably overtaxing substantially the resources of this planet. Then I can see us starting to fight. Then I can see places like Africa becoming a major target because as disjointed and, and unconnected and completely screwed up the African governments are in the states that exist in Africa, there's really nothing to stop anybody who wants to roll in there with a bunch of tanks. But you and I are told that the Russians are bad guys. You and I are told that the Chinese are a threat. The only threats we face in this world today are the ones we allow to get, the ones we allowed ourselves to be distracted from. We talk about issues relating to um, conservation. We want to protect the, for example, out here in Nevada, the desert tortoise. This whole big issue with Clive and Bundy in, 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 in April of 2014 was over the protection of a species that's going to go extinct whether we like it or not. But yet, while his cows are wandering around and his water is being provided and, and his and his improvements on a range are being taken care of, the population went from 1,300 to about 4,500 in a, in, it was a 10 or 15-year period of time. Yet nobody can tell you why, because everybody claims they, the cows are there destroying the range. They're destroying the, the, the environment for these for these tortoises, for these turtles. But if they were destroying the range and they were destroying the, the environment, wouldn't the number of turtles and tortoises go down? Shouldn't they be extinct by now? Isn't it just the opposite? Isn't it that we're so afraid to look at the symbiosis 
or the ability for competing species to work together even though they compete for limited resources? Aren't we supposed to be taking a lesson from nature? Aren't we just a natural creature ourselves? I mean, here, we're worried about whether or not the Russians are going to have influence in Syria. You want to know something? I wish somebody would have influence in Syria. I wish somebody would go over there because we've pull, we have literally abdicated our authority in those areas. Now, not Trump didn't do it. And don't blame Trump for Jerusalem because Jerusalem was something that was, was put in play 20 years earlier, if not more. Trump just simply said, screw it, I'm going to recognize it, and that's going to be the end of it. It was an act of Congress. I'm not going to delay it any longer. But when you talk about influence, political influence, the, the Arab Spring, which turned into an Arab nightmare under the Obama administration, didn't provide stability to the region, didn't provide growth to the region, did not provide safety for people in that region. We have refugees coming from every corner and they just want to get out of these, well, well, they want to get out of these shithole countries and shithouse areas. They want to leave the places because not just us, but their own governments cause the problems. But the Chinese and the Russians are the bad guys. The real bad guys are the ones that want to undermine a society in which we can actually grow together. There's always going to be competition. Come on. There's always competition. If we took this down to the simplest of nature, you guys could live in the same neighborhood. Well, not necessarily the same neighborhood. But don't we have competition between high schools? Don't we naturally have competition between schools, whether it be through sports, or whether it be through academics, or whether it be through um, who's got the prettiest girls, and who's got the sexiest guys, and who's, you know, who throws the best parties? Aren't we all competing for something? I mean, I'll tell you something. Back in 1980, I think it was 88, I had the privilege, and I mean, sincerely mean this, because I belong to an organization in college called Hillel and the JCC, the Jewish, uh, Jew, uh, JSC, Jewish Student Coalition. Um, we had an opportunity to go visit people in Russia, and I went to places that I don't think I'd ever be able to see. If I ever, It made no sense to go. But I was in Moscow and I was in Leningrad. Yes, I was in Leningrad before it became St. Petersburg again. And I will tell you this. Some of the most beautiful places on a, on a planet are in some of the most inaccessible places in the world. And yet, we're more concerned about whether or not the Russians learned how to fly a plane uh, through certain places that we don't want to fly in planes through. Or... We're more concerned with some crunchy little bastard over in the North Korean Peninsula who wants an atomic toy. Because Kim Jong-un, he's a real threat. He's a real threat like every other bully is a real threat. Or every kid on the block who decides that he wants to take on the big boys because he wants to make a name for himself is a threat. You want a combined threat? Let's look at a combined threat. He's got borders with Russia. He's got borders with China. He's got borders with South Korea. He's got, technically, we'll, we'll stretch it a little bit and say he's got borders with Japan. So we have troops and resources. We have influence in 
the Korean Peninsula, we have influence in Japan, and theoretically we have influence in China, and we have influence in Russia. In China, we stop buying their goods. You want to complain about it? You want to argue about it? You're going to say that you're going to manipulate your currency to make keep things cheap and easy to get? Guess what? Have fun. I'm not going to buy them anymore. You don't think economic disaster would occur in China? You don't think they'd have a problem? How many different places can they sell their goods and services? How many different areas in the world could afford to buy Chinese jets? How often can you sell a jet to somebody? The reason things are made so poorly nowadays is not because we're not capable of making something that lasts, but our world is based on economic exchange. Whether it be with the communists in China, whether it be with the former communists of Russia, whether it be with the, the backwater nations in Africa, whether it be the absent-minded people of some island in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't make a difference. Money makes the world go round. And so, folks, when they start screaming the Russians are coming, when they start yelling that we have issues that we have to deal with, that there's been influence from this, that, and the next thing, it's only because they're trying to distract you about the most important thing that you need to worry about. That's how your money is spent. That, my friends, is the issue. And therein lies our problem. Our problem happens to be that <laughs> they want to take as much from you as they possibly can and spend it on something that doesn't make a difference to you, that has no influence to you whatsoever, that has no input and making your life better. I was in California this past weekend. The difference between the price of gas in California and the price of gas in Nevada is nearly 60 cents. Now, in the grand scheme of things, it's not it really isn't a lot of money. A dollar per uh, 60 cents in difference a gallon, but if you think about it, think about it this way. If you've got to buy 10 gallons of gasoline at $3 a gallon, it's 30 bucks. If you want to buy 10 gallons of gasoline at $2.20 or $2.40, it's $24. That's 6 bucks. could be a Starbucks coffee. It could be a lunch at McDonald's or Burger King. It could go someplace else. It's money in my pocket being taken from me for the simple fact that they now argue that they don't have enough money to do what they need to do because cars are more efficient, the roads are still being used, People are not buying as much gasoline anymore. There's another excuse to take more money from you and spend it someplace else. Instead of doing more with less, we've created a government that does more that does less with more. You know, I have a friend of mine, his name is Tom. And Tom and I are both involved in the Independent American Party here in Nevada. And Tom has always said, and has said for years, that we don't need more money in education. We need more education in our money. Now, you and I might look at it and go, really? Does that make sense? Of course it does, because here's the thing. If I went out to go to, let's see. If I had the ability to buy two identical goods, I wanted to go to, to, I wanted to, go see a movie. 
And I wanted to go to, I don't want to be comfortable, so I wanted to go to one of those new modern theaters that have the reclining chairs and reserved seating and so on and so forth. Would I choose the theater if all things were equal, including the driving distance? Would I choose the theater that charged me $15 a ticket or $13 a ticket or $12 a ticket? Wouldn't I want to spend less money to get the same goods? Well, there's the issue. You see, when we talk about illegal immigration, which we're going to talk about in a, in a second, we're not necessarily talking about people. We're talking about influence. We're talking about resources. We're talking about buying. Uh, we're talking about buying the influence of a voting block. You know, in the 1960s, when the Great Society was launched, and Johnson turned around and said. I'm going to have the the uh, I'm going to use this term. He says I'm going to have these niggers vote in Democrat for the next hundred years. And he did that not because he liked Black Americans, not because he decided that you know Black Americans were the you know were worthy of his influence. He was buying generational votes. So what does he have to do to do that? He destroys the family. He increases the number of single-parent homes. He makes it so that if you want government assistance, you've got to jump through hoops. But now he's got people jumping through hoops, not one generation, but two generations and three generations deep, are getting and acquiring rights and title to assets that you and I create. And the government is simply taking our money and spending hundreds of billion dollars a year to give it away to somebody else just so that they'll vote for them to give it away to somebody else. Do you think... Uh, hang on a second here. Just give me a second. Can't believe it. None of the none of the subtitles that are in the queue here for blog talk are actually working. And I need to take a break. I need a breather. All right. So hold on a second here. Let's see. This one doesn't work. That one doesn't work. What about this one? Amazing. I swear. Absolutely amazing. Okay. Just give me just one second, if you don't mind. Taking a breather, I just want to remind somebody, remind you all, I do appreciate your time. I do appreciate you spending it with me. I recognize that time is valuable, and once we use it, we don't get it back. I recognize that you could be listening to a whole bunch of other places and rattling around with you know, somebody kicking off stats and telling you what's going on. But I need to I, – I use my time with you as therapy for me. Not because I need a therapist, but, but sometimes you just need to do a, a good old-fashioned brain dump to get all the stuff that's been rattling around upstairs out of your head. So the issue of illegal immigration has been nothing more for the last – 30-plus years, if not longer, as a way to draw money from us. Let me ask you this major issue. There are roughly, the last statistic I heard is that we had somewhere between 38 and 45 million people on governmental assistance, some form of governmental assistance. That means the money that you pay in your taxes finds its way through the process and the system, and a piece of it 
after being bled off from each one of the different groups and organizations that takes their money out of the deal, bled off, and repaid to somebody else. So I read just a couple of days ago that one out of every three welfare recipients in the country lives in the state of California. That's roughly 11 million people, 12 million people that are on the government dole, that are paid for by you and me, that are, and I'll say this right out, that are burdens to society because they don't contribute. Now, don't lose your cool, don't lose your mind. But the issue happens to be, a free and just society has an obligation, in my opinion, and in the opinion of the Founding Fathers, to provide some sort of safety net for those who are not capable of doing it for themselves. We're talking about people who are severely mentally ill. We're talking about people who are severely physically handicapped. We're talking about people that are so far away from being able to take care of themselves that the choice is either we help or they die. It's from that point onward that I have a major problem with it. Because I'm thinking that if that was the case, we might have, from, we'll we'll say, 40 million people on government assistance, we might have five. We might have 1% of the overall population, 1.5% of the overall population that needs our help. That's a big difference in terms of dollars spent. It's also a big difference in terms of economic growth and economic excitement. When you have more people in the workforce and you have more goods being produced and more people spending money and more people doing what people do, which is basically to live our lives and to advance our, our careers and our families. If you are so entrenched in a system in which we have to worry about how much the taxes are, how much less we have to spend, how much harder we have to work for less money. At what point do we turn around and say to ourselves, you know, why is it worth working anymore? Why are we why are we concerned with so much that every time I try to advance myself, I get less? That's the issue, my friends. We need we may not let me get this one straight. Trump is a disruptor. The reason why the people in government today, both on both sides of the aisle, hate this man. And hate is not too big of a word to use. The reason why most people in government hate the, our president have worked they're working to openly throw him out of office. They're working to establish a coup, whether it be through impeachment or for or arguing that he's not capable, is because he's ruining their party. He is going there and telling them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. He is giving them all of the things that they deserve. The comedy he made last week about why are we taking people from these, and I love how they say this, 
S-hole countries, S-house countries. It's simple. These people are coming from shitholes. These people are not coming from Boca Raton, Florida. They're not moved. They're not coming from places in which economic opportunity and freedom exist. As many regulations and bullshit we have laid on top of our society, we are still one of the places in this world in which if you've got an idea and you've got the guts behind that idea to make it happen, you can be wealthy and free and taken care of all without standing on top of the bodies of those who could barely afford to feed themselves. You see, where are refugees coming from? And if they weren't such shithole areas, why would they be coming? Yeah, I was at a lacrosse tournament. I, I told you, in, in, in Indio, California. Uh, by the way, i got to say something. Indio, it's kind of pretty. But I've never been to the middle of the middle of nowhere before until I was there. Driving on Route 62 past the, uh, the totem pole and a shoe fence, I thought the, the trip between Nevada and Arizona, you know, between Vegas and Phoenix, was empty. I realized there are other places in this world that are just as empty. And they're still in my backyard, for that matter. I think we drove 150 miles before coming to a little place called Searchlight, Nevada, in which I recognized we were in civilization. If you've ever been to Searchlight, you'd understand that there ain't a whole lot of civilization in Searchlight. But there was more in most of the areas I passed. We are... We are in a point in our history in which we need to deal with the true consequences of our own actions. We've created an environment. America has created... It's not the Russians are coming. It's not the Chinese are coming. It's not the Vietnamese are coming. It's not the Cubans are coming. It's not one particular group in general. It is a recognition of the simple fact that as a society, and this society can be Chinese, it can be Russian, it can be American, it can be English, it can be European, that if we are not strong as our, on our own. And I don't necessarily mean with guns and bombs and rockets. I'm talking about a strong society with expectations of its, of its participants, a strong society in terms of its economics, a strong society in terms of a government that is representative of the people and responsible to the people. Then we cannot take in those from the outside and expect to make their lives better or to argue that immigrants make America better. Pretty blanket statement. I always love blanket statements. As a lawyer, you love the idea of a blanket statement. Everybody does this. Well, does everybody really? No, not really everybody. Most people do it. Everybody, most people, not everybody. The issue of being strong means you can't take everybody. You can't save everybody. You cannot make it so that everybody will get the brass ring. Everybody will get the house on the hill. Everybody will get the two cars and a, a four-bedroom home on, a, on, on, a, on the acre of land. It doesn't work that way. 
Equality is not the result. Equality is the opportunity. But if we keep undermining the opportunity, we will never reach the equality of opportunity. By allowing, and I mean this sincerely, by allowing so many people to enter the country that are not in a position to contribute, that are not going to be anything other than a burden, then we are going to be undermining our own success. You want to drive up wages at the bottom? You can't pull them from the top. You can't pull wages up. You have to push them up from the bottom. And the only way to push them up from the bottom is to reduce the number of people that will do the jobs in which the wages are low. If you have a reduced number of low-wage workers, low-wage workers start getting more money because it needs to attract workers from other segments of society. These people that are screaming for $15 an hour to flip burgers and work in Walmart or work in uh, McDonald's or Jack in a Box or Burger King or Hardee's or whatnot, those are starter jobs. Those are jobs that kids in high school need to get so they can pay for gas or maybe even their car insurance. Or nowadays, their biggest deal is their cell phone. It's not meant for people to take care of a family of four. It's not meant for people who need to move on in society. It's meant for people starting out in society. Whether it's pumping gas or flipping burgers, you don't pay a kid 15 bucks an hour when he's got no job skills to offer you. That's why they're called starter jobs. They're right up there with working, working a line at Walmart in terms of the cashier or at Smith's or at Wallbaum's or at Pathmark. Or just being a beggar at the, at, or a wagon boy or girl. Those are, those are positions in which society has, that's the starter place. But if you keep bringing people in, whether it be Europe, whether it be Russia, whether it be China, whether it be the United States, that are going to be a burden upon the society itself, that society will eventually collapse. You cannot be altruistic. Society must be greedy. The members of society must be greedy. They must be greedy to the point in which they must come first. That's the part that's burning most people in Washington up like a flamethrower. How can we be greedy? How can we help? How can we do this? How can we help if we're going to be greedy? How can we, if we're only caring about ourselves? Well, how much money do you have? How much money can you give? If we're borrowing 250 to $500 billion a year, we're borrowing that money. Why are we giving it away? Whose right do we have to give that money away? Who, why, if we can find a way to save $250 billion to $500 billion a year, not necessarily raise it in taxes. I'm talking about save it, not spend it at all. If we can find a way to do that, then maybe, just maybe, we can find a way to continue to improve ourselves because now what will happen is we'll have extra money. We'll be able to pay down bills. We'll be able to pay down bonds, pay off bonds. 
which, by the way, will drive the interest rate down, which will drive the value up, which will make us feel a whole lot better because it costs us less to buy a car, it costs us less to buy a home, et cetera, et cetera. That's on a grand scale. But when, when, when we hear that somebody's upset that we don't want to take people in from parts of the world that have nothing to offer us, that we didn't cause the problem in, or worse yet, how dare you send them back to that place? Well, if they're a refugee, refugees need to be resettled. They need to be returned to their place in which they got refuge from. The circumstances have changed. Why are the Haitians still in the United States almost a decade after the last major earthquake? Why hasn't Haiti recovered? Have we heard anything about the Dominican Republic on the other side of the island? Is there a society? Did anybody let me know about that? So when I was in uh, the DR, going back almost two decades ago, I went to visit and I stayed in a little place on the south end of the island, and I had a great time. Nice people, good food. Great, great, you know, environment in terms of uh, clean water and fresh air and nice, comfortable place to stay. They were talking about the refugees. They were talking about Haitians that come across their border illegally and try to work there. Why isn't Haiti being, why isn't it growing itself internally? If there are so many things to fix and all this money was sent there, where did the money go? Where did the resources go that we dumped in by the ton? Where is the success? Or did somebody put it in their back pocket, ship it offshore, and go somewhere else with it? Because nowadays, just so that you understand how it works, capital flight, if you have money and you decide to move that money someplace else because you're afraid the government will take it from you or that the government will depreciate it, or that it will, or any of the above. You know that capital flight is now considered money laundering? Ready for this one? You are depriving the nation that issued it the benefit of it. If it's your money sitting in your bank account and you want to send it to, for your argument's sake, the United States to buy something, or just simply to get it out of the country because you don't want your government to take it, that's money laundering because it's called capital flight. It's money that leaves. It deprives the local economy of funds. Well, if it's set in the bank, wouldn't it be depriving the local economy of funds anyway? But if it's in a local bank, they can take it. They can confiscate it. They can use it for their benefit, not yours. A little reminder of what happened in Greece when everybody got a 30% haircut in their bank accounts. Because the Greek government couldn't pay its debts and decided, you know what? All this money is sitting there. Damn thing you can do about it. My friends, we are being distracted and it is happening again and again and again. Illegal immigrants are just that. They're people who came here who broke the law, who continue to break the law while they stay. They have children, they had children, they're having children. But does that mean we are responsible for every last person in the world? 
The argument used to be is, Ameri- is, is when did America become the world's policeman? We became the leader in 1945. We were the last man standing. But in general, we are not. We have no obligation to make sure that nobody starves to death. We have no obligation to make sure that nobody dives of thirst, except within our own sphere of influence. It's horrid. It's disgusting. It may even be crude to think such a way, but it's a reality. And if we want to be able to have and maintain ourselves as a shining light on a hill, that city, that place that people wish to come to and and be desirous of, we have to maintain an environment, both economically and geologically and so forth, that gives somebody some place they want to go someplace they want to be. You don't see people running to Detroit. You don't see people running to the inner cities in this country. You see people running from those areas. Those are shitholes. If they weren't, they'd be there. They'd be moving in. We hear the argument of gentrification. That's a big thing nowadays. You know, you, you know, you're coming in and you're buying a property, and the property values are going up, and the people who are living there can't afford to be there anymore. Yeah, it's called it's a cycle. It happens when see, people see opportunity, they take it. If you're not prepared to take the opportunity, you suffer from it, and that's a mere fact of life. Life is not fair. Life may be, you know, you, opportunity might be equal. Well, life is sure as hell not fair. And there's no way to guarantee that life will be fair or can be fair. Guys, as we come down, as we roll this out, with what's going on in the headlines, in the newspapers and so forth, remember, take it with a grain of salt. It's not all true. A lot of it is fanciful. I'm not saying they're lying to us. I'm simply saying they are putting forth a position. And we have to sit back and relax, and we have to sit back and figure this out on our own. I still read the Wall Street Journal. I still read the Washington Post. I still read the Hill. I still read Breitbart and Drudge and all the fun little places that I can get as much news as I can. But I also recognize the simple fact that each each publication has a position it wishes to advance. I have to sit there and sift through it. That's that critical thinking they want to teach us. They want to teach kindergartners critical thinking. We should, kindergartners want to know whether or not they can poop in their pants or poop in a, po- in, a, in a potty. Critical thinking is for adults. Critical thinking is for those who are able to sit there and go, you know what, this doesn't make sense. Why? And either convince themselves it does make sense or doesn't make sense. And move on. It's that simple. Life is not that complicated. The Russians aren't coming to take our toys away. The Chinese aren't coming to invade us. Guns don't kill people. Morons with guns kill people. Um, The enemies of our society are the ones we need to concern ourselves with. An entrenched government that does not relinquish power is one that we need to concern ourselves with. You know, for a very long time, I was I was an advocate of not having 
limits on service and government. I was an advocate for not having term limits because I believe that term limits were built into the Constitution. The problem is people have started to vote their pocketbook. How much more can you give me? What can you provide me? And people, the result is we have an entrenched government that doesn't address the needs of the people. There was, uh, just as a side note before we wrap this up, recently we've heard that uh, Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General Sessions, decided to revoke the concept of the Cole Memo involving medical marijuana and marijuana in general within the states that regulate it, tax it, and have an established control over it. He wants to now let the U.S. attorneys run rampant. So he's going to allow them to wipe out a multi-billion dollar business that's providing tax dollars willingly, and the states are dealing with it on their own. All because he says so. Sorry, guys. It doesn't work like that. It can't be allowed to work like that. There's a balance between, in federalism, there is a balance between the rights of the state and the rights of the feds. And the limitations on those balance, uh, the limitations on those positions have been eroded over decades of governmental influence through the use of the U.S. dollar. Remember driving 55 or the drinking age being moved up to 21. All these things are all these things are through the influence, and that is the concern we have. My name is Warren Markowitz. This is Politically Incorrect on the Warren Markowitz Show. I want to appreciate, thank you for your time. I appreciate you joining me. And please catch me again on Friday at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. At this point, on Blog Talk Radio, possibly on Spreaker if this shit keeps up. You be good. Thanks for your time. I appreciate everything. Be good. Bye-bye.